Hello members, this is the third podcast with John Abernathy, legendary value fund manager, economist, the chairman of Climb Capital and Climb Investment Management, a steady voice amongst the noise, John Abernathy. Today we are going to talk about two issues that are close to members' hearts, I am sure. The first is the changes to franking, and the second are the changes to superannuation. Let's join the conversation. On the franking front, we're talking about the end of those great big share buybacks where BHP would distribute a huge dividend and buy your shares for a small amount of capital. You'd get a huge capital loss to offset against any capital gains, and you'd also get a huge fully franked dividend. Is that the end of those, John? Yeah, it is the end of those. And and I was always watching it, and both you and I, Marcus, have legal backgrounds. We, we trained in law and, and knew enough about law not to get involved in it. But I do remember doing tax law and corporations law, and there were some concepts which I think uh, real, were real then and real today. And one of them is the streaming of dividends. So shareholders of a single class of share, there is a rule that you can't pay one shareholder who owns an ordinary share a dividend and another shareholder who owns an ordinary share no dividend. That was a very basic rule of corporations law, uh, which has been around for hundreds of years. So out of the, with, with that background, it's very strange when... Buyback, off-market buybacks and the streaming of dividends to shareholders who agreed to their buyback, they got a dividend by agreeing to sell their shares back to the company uh, and shareholders who didn't agree to sell their shares back to the company didn't get that dividend. And that was always something which should have been contested. Um, the Tax Office of Australia, who signed off on that many years ago, uh, should have been held to account by Parliament saying, can you give us the thought process around that and do you really think this is legal? Uh, it was never done and it just rolled along and it became a money-making uh, process for investment banks and stockbrokers. They all got onto it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, uh, we, we did huge business out That's of right. as, as yeah. stockbrokers out yeah. of those buybacks. And then the accountants came in and said, this is a great way to minimise tax. Not avoid tax, minimise tax, because you can't avoid tax. And the whole industry built out of it. And it all goes back to the creation of franking, which is a, in a previous era. So we took the good aspects of franking and debauched it by coming up with these schemes which should never have been allowed to occur. Uh, I'm adamant that uh, shareholders who are shareholders should get tax paid dividends, not shareholders who no longer want to be shareholders. Oh, doesn't very good point. <laughs> it's very good point. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't Reward them as they exit yeah. the ship. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, the buybacks were never probably. Uh, I won't say the word legal. I don't think they were appropriate or fair, or should have ever been condoned by the tax office. But can't rewrite history, so they're going to go. Um, but Superannuation the, changes. Oh, I'll get on. There's one more okay. franking issue, and I, I, I mean, I, one thing I don't like is this current debate around can a company pay a frank dividend if it's issued capital in the same financial year. And that seems to be a part of the current debate, which is the secondary part of the buyback debate. So there's two parts of the franking debate. The buyback one, which I think we're getting back to, well, we should never have had it. But there's other aspects saying, oh, if a company raises capital in a financial year, it cannot pay a frank dividend. That seems to be what the, the government's thinking that's coming out of Treasury. Well, that's outrageous. You want companies to grow. And just because a company raises capital in July and maybe buys another business or invests that capital which it's raised and makes money that year and pays tax, why shouldn't it be able to pay a frank dividend? 
It is absolutely wrong, and and uh, as my friend Jeff Wilson's been saying, it's against the capital formation of Australia. It'll encourage more debt. It'll discourage payment of tax by companies. The franking system, with its good parts and bad parts, the one thing it does do is encourage the payment of tax. You don't want companies being discouraged from paying tax. You don't want companies being encouraged to borrow and not raise capital, and that's a better way to grow their business. So I am highly supportive of what Jeff's been saying, and I think all our listeners should think about it and do something and say to our politicians, please don't change that aspect of the franking law. We want well-funded, growing companies to invest in who reward us with growing franked dividends. So I'm against that. Now, on the superannuation changes, <coughs> the $3 billion limit, I'm a little bit confused. Um, I was begged in Media Watch because uh, I was quoted out of context, but that's okay, saying that $3 million in super is not a lot of money. And my point was, because I do advice to people, and uh, believe it or not, you have people, if you're talking to someone with, say, five million of assets, they could have that five million in the house and no super, or they could have two million in super and a three million dollar house, they could have four million in super and a one million dollar house, they've still got five million. So why do you suddenly say because you're, you've got a house, that's okay, but you don't have super, fine, but if you have too much super and no house, that we're going to hit you with tax. In the st structuring of a retirement policy, uh, there are three planks to it, there might be more, we, there might be four planks to it, let's say. Certainly owning your own host, house, owning your own house is probably one of the safest ways to enter retirement. So we should encourage people to own their own house. Not big houses or expensive houses, just own your own house. Because if you own your own house, you retire, you're not paying rent, you're not paying interest. So that's to have a safe and secure retirement, own your own house. Second thing is have enough in a retirement savings policy. Now, the definition of what's enough and what's reasonable, that's the debate at present. Then you can have non-super assets, investments, yeah? And if you fail on those three tests, there's the safety net of the Commonwealth Pension. Now, self-directed retirees uh, do so on the basis they don't want to draw a pension. I think, and we should, not only do we, and we encourage our kids, please invest and own a house. That's the first thing you should do. Because if you own a and the sooner you own a house, the better, because then all of a sudden you're not paying out rent, you're not paying out interest. That comes back as free cash flow, which then you can put into super or into savings and grow your wealth. So owning an old, your own house is very powerful. I wonder why, and I'm not going to get into people saying, oh, look, he's picking on the housing market. Why is it okay for people to make tens of millions of dollars or millions of dollars on housing? Tax-free. Tax-free. And yet people who are paying after-tax savings into their super account, they get targeted. Okay? It seems to be a very unbalanced, unfair debate. And that's my view. Now, is three million adequate for a person in super? Maybe. It may not be. As I'll tell you this. It's never going to be a stable number. It's, it's going to change over time with inflation and the cost of living and the impost and, the, and how long you live. Three million dollars for someone who's 90 is a lot of money. Three million dollars for someone who's 60 may not be a lot of money in retirement. You can't just say three million dollars is it as if that's the, the number and that's what you've got to complete. It's a stupid way of thinking about it. And I come from a financial advice background and I see that you've, no one is the same. No, when you talk to a client, they're not the same. They might have the same assets, but their health, their age, their children, 
their benefactors, their parents, their wife, their husband, their partner, you know. You have to do it. You can't say you've got three million, he's got three million, you're exactly the same. It's completely different. And I think the government is being advised by people who don't understand the differences which confront people at different stages of their life in different circumstances which are individual to them. So this blunt instrument of $3 million tells me more about the lack of intellect and intelligence in Treasury than anything. They're not thinking and they're just targeting the the people who have saved for their retirement, which supposedly we're trying to encourage. Now we're trying to discourage people to do it. Why would we do that? And uh, we could probably sympathise with the people who do feel targeted and victimised. And in in the uh, current world as well, um, it encourages a social media frenzy of victimisation of a particular group of people who have done nothing wrong (laughs) but but put money into their super. They could have put their $3 million into a house 10 years ago and it could be worth $10 million now and they've made $7 million tax-free, but if they put it into super, now they're going to be taxed. Well, yeah. why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Now, we've got to have what I call reasonable benefits. We have to define reasonable But that, again, we have to think about the individual and individual circumstances. So it's, it's more complicated than just coming up with a number. And, and, and even the thought process around taxing above $3 million on unrealised capital gains, I mean, that's an outrageous policy. And I caution people that if we allow that to occur in super, do you think it won't start occurring in other investment vehicles? private companies, your individual name, uh, God forbid your house. What if we start bringing in unrealised capital gains as a legitimate taxation source? Start with super, convince the populace, oh, free means a lot of money. Oh, we do it in super, now we're going to do it right across the economy. It's a very dangerous precedent and we should be uh, pushing back strongly on that one. Fantastic stuff, John. I think our members will find a lot of that very interesting and empathise with it. I thank you for your time. It has been fascinating and we must do this again. We must do it again. Thanks, John. Thank you.